Thank you so much for tuning in to the Kathy Lee Parker Show. I'm sitting here with Jason Buck. He's a formal professional football player as well as a keynote speaker and an independent business owner. Welcome, Jason, to my show. Well, Kathy, thanks for having me on. You're welcome. Oh, my gosh, the NFL, everything seems to be changing in the sports arena these days. And um, what do you think about the um, the NFL? you think people are going out to these events, the public, due to the pandemic? Or, or what, if it's, if it's still safe or what yeah, do you feel about? Yeah, is it safe to go to these events? To go, you know, do you oh, think people are yeah, coming I, out? You know what? I think it's just common sense for everybody. If you're a person at high risk, be more careful, right? And, you know, wear a mask. I mean, if you're in your 60s plus or like, you know, 70s and 80s, if you have, you know, poor health you know, make different decisions and protect your health and watch out for yourself. But I think if you're a healthy person, you know, Mm -hmm. an outdoor event, I feel perfectly comfortable with going. I mean, I want to get out there. America needs it. You know, they need each other. They Americans are great lovers of sports. And, uh, you know, I don't think there's anything more unifying to our community and our country than, you know, athletics. It's a huge part of our tradition. And it's a great release for all Americans. You know, you get out there and cheer for your team and be there with your friends and, and have a great sporting event. You, when they do it correctly, you're, you're going there, you know, to play a great game, the Vikings versus the Green Bay Packers or whatever it is and the game. And you're all Packers and Vikings fans and there's no politics involved and no religion involved and no, you know, you're just all Americans and you're there and you're, got your teams and it's a pure wonderful event and you know it's inspiring and all those things it's i think we need it get out there and do it if you're healthy Mm -hmm. go to the game you know take your personal health if you have health risks be more careful and cautious obviously and make your own individual decisions but i think if a stadium wants to fill eighty thousand people that want to get in there and do it you know with our personal liberties as americans we should obviously be able to do it Mm-hmm. <laughs> if that's what we want to do, you go do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, if people want to stay home, just stay home. Mm-hmm. What about um, as a keynote speaker? Do you have any engagements coming up that you know in Salt Lake City or Chicago or New York? Any speaking engagements? Yeah. You know what? I kind of I've slowed down on my speaking a little bit. You know, just recently, I'm I'm really focused on writing my autobiography in my personal life I, I put it off for quite a few years just from you know because the story is just I don't know it's, it's fun and it's inspiring but there's a lot of heartbreak and and trauma in it and I think it's gonna be really hard on my mom and my dad especially and bring back a, open up a lot of open wounds so I've I've kind of put it off you know basically for my mom and my dad over the years why my siblings have all wanted me to write it and uh you know it's time my my parents are still alive at 84 and 88 but but i need to write it i know i need to get it out and and i hope to do it in such a way that it inspires i hope millions of people and touch their lives and help them overcome and uplift them and and you know reach their dreams through whatever heartache and setback and adversity they could have in their life 
they do it in such a way people have empathy on, you know, my parents and our situation and life and what we went through, you know, laugh and cry with me all the way through and, and, you know, live the exhilaration of the successes okay. and the heartbreak of the heartbreaks. But I'm just going to focus my life completely on that for the next, you know, six to nine months and just nothing else. So okay. kind of holding off. It's not that I won't do a speaking engagement, but I'm just holding off on them right now. And, until I'm done with my book, I'm making that like my primary focus, you know, for the next year. Mm -hmm. And what about, um, give us, give me something a little bit about the book. You know, your, uh, where did you grow up at? By the you way, you know what? I, uh, yeah. Well, my, my family is originally, you know, Western settlers. My dad came in as uh, early religious immigrants you know, into Nauvoo, Illinois, and into Salt Lake in the 1840s, and, you know, up into northern Utah, but my, the, and then moving up, and we, I ended up born in Moses Lake, Washington, where they're, you know, farming in the Columbia Basin Water Project up there, and where I was born, but my dad's a really Logan, Utah, northern Utah family, and then my mom's family came from the deep south, you know, she was, uh, her great-grandmother was a Chickasaw Indian, you know, in Northern Alabama and, you know, came from those deep Southern roots and, and, uh, into Arkansas. And then her family came up into, her mom came up into Utah or I'm sorry, Idaho, Boise, Idaho. Mm -hmm. And so my parents were from that Idaho, Utah area in Washington, but moved to Michigan to farm at two years old. I was two years old. We moved to Michigan. So my childhood was all informative years were all in uh, Western Michigan farming, a couple thousand acres out there. Oh. And yeah, I loved Michigan. Oh, I love it. I just went out there and visited my farm last year, you know, just about 20 miles east of Muskegon, if you look at it on a map, in an area called Ravana. Uh -huh. And uh, just beautiful farm and great place for a kid to grow up. And then uh, my teenage years were all in the Boise Valley. Boise went back to Boise, Idaho. Um, all the families that went out there to farm potatoes for Ida in Michigan basically lost everything they had. And and we ended up, you know, sleeping in the dirt and a little piece of ground and, uh, you know, on the border of Idaho and Oregon and just <laughs> with nothing but shirts on our back and uh -huh. and going through a lot of, you know, a lot of tough life. I mean, death and tragedy inside the family and runaways and you know, heartbreak and how many brothers and, and sisters do you have jason we had we had uh, we had 10 children and two died in childbirth your child childhood a two-year-old and a four-month-old before i was born uh -huh. so mom and dad lost two and then and then i grew up with eight kids in the family uh-huh and, and yeah did anybody play football or is it just you just me yeah, Are you just serious? me. From four years old on, I knew I was going to play pro football. I'd walk around Michigan church. Anybody would hear me. I was going to. I knew I was going to play pro football. I, you know, whether it's just I saw Vince Lombardi and Tom Landry on TV, you know, playing each other, you know, in the late '60s. There, uh -huh. I just, man, I knew I was going to play pro football, and I told everybody from the time I could speak that I was going to do it, and I knew I was going to, and worked at it every day. You know, hearing stories of Jim Thorpe, I'd go out and the world's greatest athlete, I'd go out and run for miles and miles every day through the woods and the farm fields, just practicing to be the world's greatest athlete like Jim Thorpe, because I thought that's what he did. Did <laughs> you like, just okay, play I'll football run. only? <laughs> just it... make it up. And, 
and uh, and I just continued to dream and work on my own. And my family never really got that much into sports. They didn't, we didn't turn out a bunch of athletes. We we're just a hardworking farm family and loved America, God, family, country. My dad was in the military. Both my brothers served in the military. You know, my mom's dad served in World War II. You know, the whole so family loved America. Very patriotic. You know, old American family and. American tradition and loved the gospel, you know, Jesus Christ and and patriotism and hard work. Boy, Dad taught us how to work hard from mm -hmm. dawn till dusk. And if did you didn't you, get your work done, you get a quick foot in the behind. Jason, sure. did you did you play any other sports besides football? Yeah, you know, I played. I got into my life was football. Every thought was football, and I wouldn't let anything really interfere with it. But because I was tall. I played basketball through high school. Never really got into other sports. I did some track and ran the 100 meters and 200 meters and long jump, you know, in high school. But I just never got coached. I was always in really small farm towns, you know. My uh -huh. school in, in Idaho that I went to on the border there um, had 25 students in a graduating class. <laughs> and so, so it was real small. And, and I played basketball there, Aww. you know. And okay. football and ran some track, but, but I was always you, focused on football. How did you get drafted to BYU? I mean, oh gosh, I I didn't. I oh, you walked. I finished on? high school without a scholarship, and I walked on at a junior college. Actually, I walked on at Rick's Junior College in Rexburg, Idaho. Oh, okay. Uh, my sister had married a a man. She went to Rick's. My older sister had went to Rick's, married a guy, and I saw that as an opportunity for me to get down to a bigger high school. So I went and lived with my sister in my senior year and went to St. Anthony, South Fremont High School, which is about 10 miles north of Rexburg. Uh -huh. And uh, But we had 100 students in a graduating class. So I thought I was in a huge high school. <laughs> right? It was four times bigger than Adrian. And I thought, oh my gosh, I can get a chance for college. Well, I finished my football season. I had no scholarship. You know, I, they, I walk on to the local college. They they turned me down, you know, that first year, moved me to defensive line from quarterback, and I never gave up. I just went. I said, "All right, I know you want me to be a D lineman. I'm going to go to go to work and put on weight." And I went back to the, you know, St. Anthony and worked in the local seed mill for a couple years, putting on weight, waiting for my sweetheart Roxy to graduate from high school. And when she graduated, we got married and went to Rick's, and. I made All-American my first year and was the National Junior College Defensive Player of the Year my second year. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I was offered by Ohio State and Alabama and Texas. And I was, I was, I was, they said I was the number one uh, recruited player in the nation that year out of junior college football. Wow. And I, so I went from a walk-on to having every opportunity in the world in a year and a half. And, mm -hmm. uh, and I chose BYU at the last second. And they just won the national championship. It kind of saved the, the deal there, you know, because I was really, I'd committed to the University of Texas at the time and and backed out and went to BYU, which was the best decision of my life. You know, and I went on to win the Outland Trophy for the best down lineman in the United States. And, wow. uh, you know, I just, a dream, dream, absolute dream come true for me after all that I'd been through. Mm -hmm. And... And I was definitely guided, you know, in that decision to, you know, turn down Texas and Alabama and Ohio State the last minute and go to BYU. It was a 
very special time in BYU's history with Lavelle Edwards in his prime and uh-huh. you know his great assistant coaches he had. I just Tom Ramage, Dick Felt, you know Ken Schmidt, all those guys on defense especially that you know played such a a role in my life. Uh-huh. Um, what position did you play at BYU? Were you lineman? Yeah, it's a defensive end. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Defensive tackle, defensive end, and uh, wow. The Heisman was was you know put it, put together around I don't know nineteen twenty or somewhere in there. It was the first big award in football for the best football player in the United States. Mm-hmm. Well, by the nineteen forties, Doctor Outland, who was a lineman, realized well nobody wins the Heisman Trophy other than receivers, running backs, and quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. So the Heisman Trophy is really it is absolutely not the best player in football. It's the most famous award in football, but the Heisman Trophy really only represents the best offensive skill player in football. It doesn't represent the rest of football. Okay. If you look at it, it's for 100 years, one defensive player has won it, and the rest are all quarterbacks, receivers, and running backs. So Dr. Outland in the 1940s came up with the Outland Trophy for the best down lineman in the United States. So... Mm-hmm. That's anybody that gets in a stance, including tight ends, offensive linemen, and defensive linemen. Mm-hmm. So if there's an award out there that represents all football players best, it's actually the Outland, Outland Trophy because it does actually choose offensive and defensive players. Mm-hmm. But it's for all the big guys. Wow. And, uh, that's good. And that's, that's nice. Yeah, that's, yeah. So for me to get that, it was, it was just out of you know BYU because I was the first player from the Western United States you know, west of the Rockies that had won it since 1967, Ron Yeri, won it for, uh, I guess, USC. Mm-hmm. And then I was the next in 1986, so about 20 years later. And the first one from the WAC conference, you mm-hmm. know, small conference, not one of the big Pac-10s or Big 10s or SEC. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was a really special miracle and blessing in my life. And, and I owe it to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, honestly, it's just, no matter what your religion you're from, I'm telling you the the spirit, I prayed with all my heart, what school I should go to, fasted and prayed, and I committed to Texas, and the last second I woke up in the morning with a a voice clear in my head, just as clear as you speaking to me in my head, said, Jason, go to BYU, and I called up Texas and canceled, told my wife, Roxy, we're supposed to go to BYU, and and I went there and won the Outland Trophy, and it was it was purely based on the spirit talking to me because I was so naive. I didn't have the knowledge to base honestly. I look back at it. I didn't have the knowledge to base a great decision on. This is the kind of defense that my athleticism needs to play in. You know, this is the best defense is suited for me. One gap, two gap, four man front, three man front. This is what the coaching staff is doing. You know, here's the the right time at the school, you know, to get the Outland Trophy. You're definitely going to go to Ohio State or Alabama or Texas to try to win the Outland Trophy, right? Uh-huh. You know, all these all these things that I was so naive of politically and strategically, just a farm kid, small-town farm kid, I was guided 100% by the Spirit, you know, through prayer and fasting and, and – uh, like I said, it was a very special experience in my life. One of those you just rarely have. Mm-hmm. And I went and played two great years at BYU. I had a great experience. Loved Lavelle Edwards and Ramage and Tom Ramage and Dick Felt and all those men I played for. My teammates, 
I just I was there at a very special time and and I got to have one of those greatest experiences of my my life before I went on to the NFL. But to win such an award like that, especially from BYU, which is Brigham Young University, because uh, yeah. it's a private school, and to be able to yeah. win something like Small that, small conference, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then. I'm like, whoa, yeah. that's that's an honor, and you brought something to the school too, doing yeah. that as yeah. well. So you were, it was. The higher power was using you both ways. <laughs> yeah, it was. You know, it was the right fit. It was just, I was the right fit for BYU. They were the right fit for me. The timing was perfect. They needed me. I needed them, right? It was just, everything was just okay. perfect. What was you it know, the like? the timing, the coaches, the what me, was... me being the kind of player they needed, uh -huh. you know. What was it like going to, from that to an NFL? Um, like a thousand pound rock landing on your head and your head's laying on a curb. Oh, no. <laughs> that? oh gosh, isn't that, that bad? From, I, I got drafted to the absolute scum pit situation of the NFL. I went from literally one of the game's classiest best coaches in the history of all of college football to the scummiest, worst, dirty situation ever in the NFL football. It was just a shock. And so, you know, nobody prepared me for it. I, and I think the coaches at BYU are kind of naive to it, honestly. You know, a lot of them had NFL experience. And I wish they would have just pulled me aside and said, hey, Jace, you know, the NFL is a different world. And you could be walking into, you know, the Wolves' den and not know it. Or you could be walking into a good situation, right? I mean, mm -hmm. now when I say that, I want to say at the same time, Joe Gibbs and the Washington Redskins that I finished my career with were world-class. World-class, treated like a human being, treated decent with respect. I got to play in the NFL I'd always dreamed of as a little boy, you know, and I got to finish out the Redskins. But the Bengals environment that i walked into and i'm telling you paul brown is a very good man you know the old man paul brown that was literally a founder of the nfl him and vince lombardi and you know, that group i mean paul really? brown was a good man the brown family that own it are good people to be clear about that you know i disagree with some of their management decisions and what they do but they're good people but the staff they had hired was totally out of control Dick LeBeau wanted me, is what it turned out I learned over time. He wanted me, but Sam Weish didn't. So Paul Brown, which was a great compliment to me, one of the greatest coaches in NFL history, wanted to draft me. Okay. Him and Dick LeBeau. But Sam Weish didn't. So I came into the team with Sam Weish, the head coach, hating my guts, wanting me to fail. And he really made my life miserable. And my D-line coach, who was one of the most base, terrible, foul, corrupt people you could ever meet in your life would brag to people that he was going to drive me out of the NFL. And so I come in there and I'm just treated like crap from day one. So I go from this situation where I'm treated with complete respect at BYU coached wonderfully communicated with wonderfully, you know, team leader to, I come in, I'm chewed out in the locker room by some older veterans, not all of them. Some went out of their way to just, rip on me the second I walked in like hey punk you're not getting any respect out of me you're making the money I should have been making you know they're all mad, mad at me for being a first round draft pick and I'm like I just 
worked my whole life for this moment, right? <laughs> to get drafted high and have money for my family. Well, you have other guys, some guys that resented it and were bitter. And, and then, you know, Sam Weiss just set me up to look bad. He, he brought me in. I ended up holding out for camp and I hated it. But the Bengals were the worst team in the league. Everybody knows it to deal with, negotiate with Mike Brown. So my agent Steinberg and him got in a fight. And I'm in between this, and I end up not coming into camp until the opening week of the opening game. I miss four or five weeks of camp totally, and it's not my fault, right? I'm just mm-hmm. I just want to get in and play football, but it's just stupid stuff that I'm not in control of. So I come in, I fly into the city on uh, Tuesday morning or Wednesday morning for practice to be there for practice. Okay. The first day of pads that week, they were playing the Colts that week, and. I come in, I get in from the airport, been, you know, flying through the night, red eye or whatever, get up, I go into the practice meeting, and he literally, and he did not need to do this, but he did to make me look bad. Uh-huh. I walk in with my, my playbook, and the whole team is sitting there, because I'm just coming in from the airport, they have a driver there to bring me in, so I didn't have an opportunity to get there early like everybody else, I was coming from the airport with the driver, uh-huh. flying in, just signing the contract. So I come into the team meeting, everybody's seated, right? Right. And Ross Browner, who's a, like a 10 or 12-year veteran, beloved by the team, a team leader, a team captain, a guy who's just right at the end of his career, I'm replacing him, oh, essentially. Right. And they literally had me walk into the room, and Sam Weiss did, did this totally on purpose. He says, Ross, get your book, report to... Um, Schmaus, who is the, we call him the Grim Reaper, the guy that cuts everybody. Uh-huh. And, you know, report to Schmaus. And, our, and I'm, I had the entire football team look at me and stare at me like I'm the biggest chump and jerk on planet Earth, right? Because uh-huh. their buddy just got cut. I didn't even play it down with them yet. Uh-huh. I, you know, because I was in a stupid holdout to try to get a contract with them. And, you know, so I started out the Bengals just you know, disliked by everybody. I go in and get equipment to, from the equipment manager and he throws the shoes at me and, and I said, puts the helmet to me. I said, I put on the helmet, doesn't fit. He goes, hey, you mother effing rookie, you should have been here, you know, a month ago. Don't effing waste my time. Don't come back here for, you know, anything. I don't want to see you, da, da, da. So I'm like, I'm treated like dirt. I'm looked at like dirt. I'm verbally abused all day by the D-line coach that just, calls me names all day long, F-bomb, every other word, you F this, you F that. I mean, it wasn't even like he was speaking English to you. Uh-huh. So I go from this awesome football environment at BYU, you know, where you're on top of the world, to I'm sitting here going to home at night like, wait, this was my dream, right? And I, I am like in the twilight zone and in a horrible situation, treated horribly, fighting my way through it and I just came home to Roxy every night and just said you know what I will never give up and I will never quit I will fight like I have every day of my life and I will overcome this and that guy's going to drive me out of the league it's not going to be because of anything I've done so I went down to that you know locker room every day and finally earned the respect of my teammates and got the starting job going into my second year Mm-hmm. You know, on the team, the first year was just a nightmare. And, but I got to go through camp with them the second year and, you know, finally earned the respect of most of my teammates. And, and 
you know, abuse was constant with this D-line coach. I mean, I'll, I'll put a lot of the different stories inside the book, obviously, in detail. There's just pathetic and filthy and dirty. And, t- you know, I've got, I've got to clean it up. So I can't really tell people actually how it was because I want right. the book to be good enough that teenagers can read it. But, uh, but you know, it's just beyond terrible. You sound like you would be a, a TV show series episodes. <laughs> yeah. You know what? And honestly, to, to do it right, I've thought about that. To do it right, it'd be hard to do it in one movie. It'd be more right. like a, it's too much. It'd be more like a series on HBO or Netflix or something. It would be like a ten show series or something because you're you're going through from childhood and just homelessness and runaways and heartache and parents holding their marriage together and attempted suicide and you know just just darkness and and hazing and bullying at school because you're not like everybody else and just holding on to those dreams and life and when the world around you is falling apart and to never give up and then you have a moment of success through college but then you're all of a sudden facing it again when you've reached your dream in the nfl you're like man but i i, I was able to fight through that that second year and become the starting defensive end for the Bengals on the uh, 88 team. And we went all the way to Super Bowl 23, which was unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And and so even through all that, I was able to come in the loss of family members and, you know, those things and just be able to walk, come out of that stadium and they call my, they're introducing our defense against San Francisco 49ers offense and to hear them say from Brigham Young University, Jason Buck, number 99. And I come running out of that tunnel onto that Super Bowl field, just with every, like a video playing in my mind of what I'd gone through in my life, you know, from sleeping under the trucks to digging ditches, to fights, to, you know, surviving and, every bale of hay you threw, you know, and the loss of loved ones and what your family gone through. And I just saying, you know, Sid, my, my brother who wasn't there with me anymore, you know, I just, I made it. Yeah. I made it. We made yeah. it. And uh, it, was, it was an unbelievable experience. So I, think, I was able to I think you're not done happen. yet. I think you're not done yet. I just saw something that popped in my mind, what we talked about earlier before the show. Yeah. I think it's not done yet. I think that movie episode and everything's going to come true. It's going to come forward after you do this one other thing. And I think it's yeah. going to be your life story because people will know who you are even more when you do this other thing yeah. that we're going to talk about later. But yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, need to, I need to do it. It's, I've held I off think... on it for years, honestly, because it's just, it brings so much pain and hurt uh, to my parents that, I just honestly, I put it off and for my parents' sake, but I love them so much. I want anybody listening to this know I love my mother. I love my father. My father's my greatest hero. Right. He's not a perfect man, but he was close to perfect in my eyes. <laughs> I mean, he had his flaws, like all of us. Yeah, we like all me. Have and my mom had huge struggles, you know, with her, with depression and, you know, that, and her trauma in her life as a child that I don't think she's dealt with to this day. Right. Mm-hmm. And right. I couldn't recognize back then, but now looking back at it as an older man, I can go, Oh, that was my mom's problems. And that's why she did what she did. Uh-huh. And, 
and why our life sucked. <laughs> it just sucked. <laughs> and why siblings were dropping out of high school and running away and, you know, your life's falling apart. Out of eight children, Kathy, eight children, only this is a Caucasian white American family in the 1960s and 70s, only two children out of eight graduated from high school. Oh. I mean, that tells you how dysfunctional of a look at, you know, our family was, mm -hmm. but yet, you know, my dad was a bishop, a, a head over a, our church congregation, if you will, you know, okay. our family was very religious. We got to church every Sunday. I mean, we prayed together. We, we, we're all, you know, we watched Disney, the wonderful world of Disney together. You know, we, the siblings loved each other, but yet there was this Function. real dysfunction between my mom and dad's marriage and, you know, screaming and fighting and, you know, I mean, just my mom's mental struggles and with whether it's depression or manic depression and other things. It was never diagnosed, but the mm -hmm. readers will probably, you know, go, whoa. Um, but yeah, you know if what? You meet my mom, she's super intelligent, you know, just art an artist, um, poet, just, just a very talented lady, write music, mm -hmm. sings. But yet, man, she had struggles that even to this day she does not, Jason. you know, recognize that. Jason, there's a lot of football players that I've known, a few, you know, that I know that made it pretty big, but they went through some hard stuff. You're the worst of, of her. Oh. <laughs> yours and yours. Oh, I don't, don't mean, want to I don't mean right it worse. I mean, you know, in a short interview, hard. I can't even touch what we went through. I can't, I can't even touch it. But I mean, the point is, I, I know these other guys, what they went through and stuff like that. And, yeah. um, um, Oh my gosh. Like, for example, I'm going to say it publicly because they're my friends, like um, Jim Kelly. Oh my gosh. You have no idea what this guy went through <laughs> growing yeah. up and everything. And he was heavy set and he's get teased and da da da. And his dad put him in football of all the brothers. I mean, they all play football, but they, <laughs> Jim's the one that really? took the furthest. Dad saw his dad, you know, make him go further. And then there's um, Trevor Manage. Okay, you know Trevor, and yeah, he no, grew up. I know Trevor really well. He grew up with his just his mom. He told me a story about how he grew up, and I'm like, dang, you know, four brothers, yeah. same thing. Mom working two jobs, single mom, yeah. and what she did, and and he's the one who went. NFL, you know what I mean? He's yeah. the one, same thing. Yeah. Give, so even though your story's, I hate to say, it's the worst of her, oh. the hardest, I should say the hardest, <laughs> it would get, the they would relate to you. They would relate. Yeah. Even Steve, you know, Steve Young, 49ers now, the, what he went through yeah. too, he didn't have the emotional part, but he had other issues. Then you oh, all yeah. have something to You know, to everybody relate. has adversity, right? We right. all have adversity, and you never want anybody else's personal adversity. But not just the NFL, but other athletes. But yeah. There's yeah, so many other athletes. athletes have done. You know, it's funny, it's such a small world, the names you mentioned. You know, Jim Kelly, I played against multiple times, and I sacked him in the <laughs> AFC Championship game to go to the Super Bowl, and then I had a huge sack against him again in Super Bowl 26. Oh, so Jim will God. know me. <laughs> Right, Jim will know me, but we 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 have we we never chatted one on one, and you know, been alone together. You know, but it's like, it sounds like we need to be friends. <laughs> yeah, but, but anyway, but make the long story short. Um, but there's other athletes and other sports like skating, the, the sacrifice oh, that they made. Yeah, 
was just like, oh my gosh, you know, so they yeah. can relate to your story, even if you do come yeah. out with it, you know, which I have a feeling it will come down the road once yeah. the book gets written, like the brief of it, and then it'd be yeah. more of the grind when they do the movie, the episode. Um, yeah, yeah, there's people that um, I have associates that are good friends with Netflix and Sony. If they pick this up, you yeah. get something written, they pick it up, it takes it to the next level. And next right. you know, you have this thing going with your life, but it will it will open doors and like, hey, I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one struggling. What you want? You want to touch the lives of and strengthen lives and change lives of people. I and mean, I've had people come up to me years after I did a speech and come up to me and say, literally, your speech saved my life and kept me from committing suicide, really? or changed my son's life and got him off of drugs onto you know his life and now he's a father and doing great da, da, da. i mean i've had some wonderful experiences just from my talks but okay. that's what you want to do you want this book to change lives to impact and help people the story needs to be told and well i'm getting it, some it flags others. i mean, it helps others. i got some flags how did you get into the redskins what happened what got you dropped because yeah. i get people asking that so yeah what got you the, yeah, well, like you said, Weish was always after me, right? And uh -huh. they were always wanting me to fail. Dick LeBeau was pulling for me, the D coordinator, but he didn't get to coach me. And so the defensive line coach would, you know, set you up to fail and, you know, just say, I mean, just stupid stuff. Like, I mean, he'd swing open his drawer. We'd like, hey, coach, you can't smoke in our room. We'd be in this 12 by 12 room with the door shut and light up a cigarette. You know, oh, no. and we'd be like, hey, coach, you can't smoke in the NFL, you know, in our facilities. And he goes, shut up, you mother effers. I yeah. made the decision here. I'll smoke <laughs> if I want to. You're, you're sitting in there and you're like, and he'd start, he would literally talk about having sex on LSD while he was in college. He would start doing, all, look at this drawer full of drugs I have, man. It's so nice to have a friend as a pharmacist. <laughs> You know, oh, he would just, no. this was like a everyday stuff. And I'm like, dude, I just want to watch film and be a better football player. And I'd be like, but it, everything was directed at me, right? To, to try to destroy me. So they can set you up when they want to and tell you to do this assignment this way. And then go into the coach's meeting after the game and say, hey, I, I told him to play it like this, but he screwed up and da, 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 da. You know, they can, they can totally set you up when they're against you. Uh -huh. and, and, and I'd be like, I really? told your head coach, stop abusing me. You know, I don't need, I'll work my heart out. I'll play my heart out. I don't need you to call me a mother effer, you know, for eight hours a day and, and just abuse me constantly. I mean, I had this one-on-one -on -one with him and he's like, Buck, you hypocrite Mormon. I know you stinking Mormons. He goes, if you're just like a be nice to your face, knife you in the back guy. And whoever gives the most money to your church is the prophet. And I know all you mother effers. I mean, I'm just like, oh okay, gosh. that was a nice conversation, right? Uh -huh. I mean, he was just, so he actually got fired after the Super Bowl because we had a big fight at practice once. I mean, I went after him. I was going to, I was going to just beat the living hell out of him. And I, I was gone. I said, you go ahead and cut me, man. I'll go play for any other team in the league. And, uh, I was done with the abuse. So they fired him, but why still wanted me gone? So I played two more years there. And they, I, I finished my third season with nine sacks, you know, second on the team in tackles or something like that. Mm -hmm. And 
and I missed four games with a dislocated elbow. So I still had that many sacks. I mean, I, that should have been a year. If I wouldn't have missed those four games, I could have made a Pro Bowl, and it was just things were going good. And but anyways, the next year I come into camp and I'm second team, and I go to the new D line coach. Said, "Why am I second team coming into camp?" And I don't even get beat out by anybody. He says, "Cause wife said so." Oh, so. Wow. I had this bad fourth year, you know, I'm not getting used right, played right. I got another D-line coach that's trying to buddy up to Sam Weiss against me. And and so I finished that year, go, go by fifth camp with them. And I know they're getting rid of me, right? Uh-huh. But they're, they're, they're trying to hurt me. So I go to them during camp my fifth year and I say, hey, why don't you just let me go so I can go play for somebody else? And I'd led, I led the team in sacks through preseason, right? I okay. led the D-line in tackles through um, preseason. I was actually number two on the team in tackles through preseason. And I separated my shoulder, like, in that last game. And they cut me illegally with a separated shoulder, which is classic Bengals. And I thought about suing them, but I thought, oh, it's going to hurt my chance of getting on another team. So I didn't. Right. But, what they what they did to me on the last day is they go, hey Buck, we gotta we gotta put you on waivers. This is just a team move. They pull me back in the back office and talk to me, and they say we need you to help us. We don't want other teams to pick you up, so we need to, you to hide back here at the end of the day, and we're gonna waive you at the very last second, right before the you know cut wires done, so they can wait release and other teams pick up players that get released. Uh-huh. So we're going to hold you to the last second. We don't want the press to know or anybody. And we're going to release you at the very last second so you can get picked up. You know, so we can pick you up, you know, to, right afterwards. So I'm like, okay, you know, I'll cooperate. So I sat in the back, this back room by myself. Well, no, it's Skip McClendon, actually. And they, they waved me at the last, whatever the deadline was, 15 minutes before or whatever it was or a half hour or whatever. And they release me, and I come out, and I don't say anything in the press because they're supposed to pick me back up. Uh-huh. Well, they didn't pick me back up. All they did, they only did that to hurt me so that every other team wouldn't pick me up, right? Because their rosters would be set. Right. So then nobody will pick you up because their rosters are set until there's an injury. Uh-huh. So they totally set me up, which is a total Cincinnati Bengal move. And then, yeah, it was mainly Sam Weiss doing it to try to damage me and hurt me. Okay. So, and they lied to me, liars they are. Okay. And and so I don't sue for the separate shoulder because I'm I didn't want to like get on a blacklist. And so I set out for like six weeks just healing my shoulder and training back in Utah, and working hard and just trying to be ready, working out for different teams. And uh, week six. Um, the Redskins made the call and brought me in and oh That's what nice. a dream come true. Really? I went like I said, I went from the most filthy environment to and I and now going back on the team, I ended up with a lot of super good friends on the Bengals football team itself, my teammates. Uh-huh. You know, I'm a lot of really good friends and, you know, earned their respect and all that. But I was never in with the most of the coaching staff. Dick LeBeau loved me. But he was the only one. Jim Jim uh, McNally, the O-line coach, was really good to me. Okay. But it was really just those two. The rest were just, you know. So you felt crap. like now that you're on the Redskins, you're playing football. You're playing like oh. it should be. Oh, Joe Gibbs brought me in, flew me in, right? And uh-huh. he said, 
Jason. He goes, I know you grew up on a farm. This is his talk to me. He goes, I know you grew up on a farm, hardworking, good family. I know your religion. I know Lavelle Edwards. The Mormon people are wonderful people. And Lavelle Edwards is a great man. He goes, I know you are a person of great work ethic and character. He goes, that's what the Redskins are all about. And I'm like almost bawling. I'm listening to him say these words. And he's like, he goes, Jason, he goes, I'm telling you, you will have a career of 10, 12, 14 years here with me because of your character and work ethic. He goes, I will win more championships with character first and athlete second. And you're a Redskin. Oh and gosh. I was like, right, that I was almost bawling thinking and just shaking going, I would die for this man. Because that is what football is, a true American football is all about. Uh-huh. Was, and Joe Gibbs coached with Tom Landry, who coached with Vince Lombardi. I mean, I was that close to that little boy in Michigan, right? Dreaming oh. of Tom Landry and Vince Lombardi and those the great American NFL films and what how it was portrayed. And here I was. And so I got to finish, you know, getting – I won the Super Bowl that year, Super Bowl twenty six. Sacked Jim Kelly in the Super Bowl. <laughs> I mean, after being just treated like a dog – at Cincinnati, you know, I just, and I got to finish my career with Joe Gibbs and the Redskins that just treated me with class and character and held you accountable, right? Uh-huh. And just absolute discipline and everything you dreamed of in football was the Redskin way. Were you and there when um, Trevor Manage, did you, did you two play together? Because I know he, he was center. Here I'm at. But Trevor and I, you know, because of the BLU crossover, we're always friends, played against each other a few times. In I lost you there. Hello. Uh, hey, Jason, are you still there? Oh. oh, we lost. Sorry, lost me there. I know. But anyway, so Sorry. were you good friends there in football? Did you play together, you and uh, Trevor Maddich? Because I know he was center. With the Redskins, or the Patriots, he was something. I know he played on the Redskins. He played. He played with the Patriots. And yeah, the then Patriots. He, uh, uh, finished with the Redskins as a long snapper. Yeah. He long, uh, the Redskins a long snapper, and he went into the Redskins right as I was leaving. Oh. Because yeah. uh, I remember him seeing something, or he sent me something. Got them with the Redskins because I asked him one time. But um, yeah, that's. Okay, that's cool. That's that's good. I he's a good guy, and I I don't know why I never crossed paths with you because we know some of the same group of friends and and stuff. But I I okay, I guess I know you. I I got told. And now we're friends. <laughs> I, yeah, now we're friends. Now I got told. I got my friend Jim Herman. Goes, yeah, you know him, Kathy. You know him. I'm like, oh, okay, I know him. <laughs> yeah. So, but um, and then Lee Johnson. Did you play with Lee yeah. Johnson in the Cincinnati Bengals? Didn't he play with yeah. him? Yeah. Lee Lee Johnson is one of my best friends in life. And we played three years together at the Bengals. I was there my rookie year without him. He came in oh part a couple weeks into the season, the uh-huh. second year when we went to the Super Bowl. Uh-huh. So from uh Cleveland or I think Cleveland. He got released by Cleveland and come in and then made the team about week two somewhere in there and uh, anyways he's, he's one of years the, together there before i went to the bank before i went to the redskins he's one of the best punters kickers i've ever seen oh yeah yeah oh, LJ had a fantastic, 
he went through four or five teams in his first two or three years in the league, just bounce, 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 bounce. Uh-huh. And then stuck at the Bengals for like, oh gosh, 12 years or something forever. And then played another couple of years for that. He ended up with 17 years in the NFL. <laughs> it was, he had an awesome career. Yeah. <laughs> man, you know, you, you punt and you don't ever get a bruise on your body or rarely, uh-huh. I mean, rarely you get touched, right? Once in a uh-huh. while, but right. you can't, you can't play like, you can't play that long as a defensive end. I'm telling you. <laughs> But um, so tell me about how did you become a keynote speaker? I think because of all that your experience. But let's go into the business part. You you are you were a business owner, you know. Yeah. So what well, businesses always, did you own? And you know, I've always been entrepreneurial. And when I left football, I I as a farm boy, I went and got a six hundred and fifty acre ranch and. Central Utah, Manti, Utah, back in the mountains, uh-huh. and had about 300 head of cattle and Whoa. dairy hay and corn and everything else, and and worked that for about six years. I just loved it. At least another six, eight hundred acres, something like that. So I had about I don't know, 1,200 acres at one time. I was running uh-huh. and uh, owned 650 of it, and just uh, loved it. But I. I got to a point where my wife wasn't very happy. It was breaking my heart that she wasn't happy. She didn't like going back to the farm in the small town, even though she was a small town girl, which surprised me. Uh-huh. So, you know, things were tough. And so I went and uh, left the farm and sold it and went back up to Utah County uh-huh. where I could work. And I got you know recruited into finance by a friend and got my securities license and did investment banking, insurance and investment banking for, man, years uh-huh. and got, gotten and got involved in some, you know, other um, small startups and, you know, ventures and just worked out. But while I was doing it, I'd always speak, you know, uh-huh. always speak. And uh, a lot of it was charity work, right? And the youth and... Uh-huh kids and junior highs and high schools and you know and you know corporate a fair amount of big corporations and bigger corporate talks but just never went after it because as hard as I could have because I was never willing to give up my time with my children and you know that cat in the cradle and the silver spoon one of those great songs (laughs) that impacted me as a young man I was like there's no success in this world worth failure in the home. Right? I have I have a question for one of my listeners. So I never that... go out there. I had a friend speak would okay. speak twenty eight out of thirty days a month, right? Okay. And I would I just would not do something like that. So I coached my boys, I coached my daughters, I was with my kids all my life. Now they're all raised. Now I'm starting to pursue the you know, speaking and traveling more that I just wouldn't go super extensive back you know, through those years. Jason, what about, I have somebody who's asking, he wants to know, how did it feel to win the Super Bowl? Oh, now that you know part, a little smidgen of my story, you imagine how emotional it was, you know, to be that little boy playing football in the snow and ice in Michigan in the 1960s to... being laughed at and scoffed at and spit on through your life, you know, for even daring to dream to uh-huh. walk out there on that field. Like I said, and hear them call my name 
was one of the most unex- unbelievable experiences you could ever experience in this world. And, and I literally, I couldn't feel my feet touch the ground when I was running and onto that field and to play in it was just itself was, you know, one of the greatest experiences of my life. And, you know, as far as my career goes and, uh, you know, you just, you play at a whole nother level through that entire game. And mm-hmm. we lost that heartbreaker in Super Bowl 23 in the last seconds of the game. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but thank goodness I was able to go on and win it <laughs> with oh. the Redskins and have the other feeling side of that coming off the field. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's just, it was the culmination of that chapter in my life. I mean, it's just that close, that elation to know that you could, by never giving up and never quitting and overcoming, you know, all of life's adversities is thrown at you to not believe others that tell you you are no good and you can't do it and never listen to that. And to be that guy out there sacking Jim Kelly in the Super Bowl and your family and your friends and people back in Utah and Idaho and all over the country watching you. It's just such an experience. It's so hard to put into words. I... Well, it's an honor to hear your voice. I probably, if I meet you face to face, I know I was like, oh, I know him. But anyway, yeah. but but we, we were around the same circle of friends. And uh, wow. I was, you know. So you don't recognize me. I had the vice president of NFL Films, like the number two guy from NFL Films, came up to me and said, Jason, he goes, I want you to know you're like the most recognizable face inside a football helmet that we've ever filmed. Really? <laughs> I'm like, okay. <laughs> and, you know, coming from a vice president of NFL films, that was cool. Yeah. But yeah, you, you, I'm sure you recognize me. I, I, yeah. Okay. The mustache, the beard, and you know, all that, the wild every, eyes, I, I stand out a little bit. Everybody, because I, I remember asking, because I'm still staying in touch with Jim Herman through business and stuff, and, and, yeah. <laughs> And I, I asked him about you, and he goes, oh, you know him. <laughs> That's the first thing he said. He says, you know him. I'm like, you oh, okay. Him, yeah. Or you already know him. That's what he kept saying. I do. And then I then I thought, okay, okay I'll accept that. And I just walked away. But, I, you know, and I did read a little bit about you before you came on the show and, and everything. And I thought, isn't there anything this guy hasn't done? I mean, I know you did the NFL and stuff, but you really were very successful in other ways, in business and yeah. public speaking. I have my ups and downs, you know, but I... Oh, come I, on. We all have those. Like, <laughs> yeah, we all have those, right? But yeah. I, think, I think in my life, I've looked at it and went, wait. I, one time in my life, we had open sewage behind our trailer, uh-huh. you know, sleeping under a truck, just <laughs> nothing, right? Not a, just not even a penny. And, and laughed at and scoffed at literally in a school of 25 students in a class to going, you know, into international investment banking and working with Swiss banks in Europe and, you know, kind of going business around the world and, and having dinner with the prime minister and, you know, these kind of things. And I'd sit there sometimes and go, wait, I was just bucking, you know, hay on the back of that truck and you know <laughs> drinking water out of the hose <laughs> it seemed like yesterday or throwing seed sacks when you know Aww. nine hours a day when people are laughing at you for daring to dream and, you know you know you know traveling the world in business yeah it was a, I, I, i've had a crazy run from i, I could do everything from uh run a dairy <laughs> run a dairy to you know talk 
talk with, uh, you know, the top bankers of Societe Generale and, you know, Paris. Have so, you ever met? It's definitely crazy. Uh, Jason, have you ever met Donald Trump? No, but I got to talk to a CFO. Now you got, I got to tell you another funny story. Oh, no. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I guess I'm at a business luncheon and this guy's friend of mine in Salt Lake goes, hey, he goes, I got the the CFO. I know he's a big football fan, the CFO of Trump. This is before he's president. So right, this is like right. 10 years ago. Right. And I'm like, Donald Trump CFO? And he goes, yeah. He goes, here, talk to him. And so he calls him on the phone and puts me on the phone with Donald Trump's CFO out in New York City. Uh-huh. And he's a true New Yorker, right? <laughs> and he's like, anyways, he goes, he gets on the phone, he goes, Jason Buck, number 99, Washington Redskins. You know, and he starts listing off my, you know, he played at BYU, 1985-86, and you made this, you're the Allen Trophy winner. And you're like, and he's naming off all my stats, how many sacks a year, and how many tackles. Yeah, I was there, you know, Meadowlands, watching you play the Giants. You know, you know. This guy, his CFO knew all about me. He was one of these like uh, little walking computers and a football fan that knew uh-huh. all this stuff. It blew me away. Think, wow, oh Donald Trump's gosh. CFO knows who the heck I am. <laughs> I'm like, wow. But that that was just one of those fun stories you bring up. But no, I've never met. I've never met Trump. I would love to. Well, you know, you um, never know. I got, I, yeah, yeah. I think he raised a great family. I'm just super impressed with his kids. You know, yeah. Like he's what, a good he father. Raised. He's a good father. Yeah, yeah. You look at you want to look, see somebody. Look at their you know the success of their family and their children and everything, right? And I'm like, wow. Just kids are on the ball. It's like, <laughs> and he did all that with the you know under that much pressure and fame and money and see he uh, can yeah, relate to you donald can relate to you too because he didn't have it people think oh he had it easy he had this had that oh, oh read his bio he, you know what i mean so you with your story with yeah. what you went through and being you know the guy's dream that's what you are you're the guy's dream and um oh. um to the yeah you're 90 uh, percent of the men out there you're 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 living their dream, you know. Oh, you, wow. I, you yeah. made it. I don't know if they want live all, all of it for sure. But, but yeah, but you made yeah. the success. You know, what I mean, you didn't give up. You hanged in there. Yeah. You, you um, yeah. You, the number one key is you didn't give up, and you believed in a higher power. Yeah. So there's a yeah. lot more to this. This um, I I can see Netflix or Sony picking up a story well another, another big belief of mine that i'd like to say on here is that no matter what the, i promised the lord jesus christ my father some very very my brother my dear friends in my life uh-huh you know some that i would never forget where i came from That's and good. uh never be afraid as one old cowboy mentor of mine is one of my dearest treasured mentors said to me go to buck when you leave and go play football don't you ever be afraid to get your boots dirty <laughs> and yeah you know, you I, I promised family you know my, my dear ones dearest people in my life and the lord that i'd never forget where i came from so no matter what heights of success i've enjoyed in my life or lower lower than ever lows uh-huh. you know where you just think you just wish a millstone would you know, land on you and end it. You know, I think we've all felt that. And it's just, I'm so thankful and I will never forget where I came from, you know, and just, uh, I, I and you never judge others because you don't know what they've been through in their life. Right. So be careful of that one. Right. Right. Well, Jason, yeah. I like to, 
to thank you so much for coming on my show. And uh, it's been an honor to get to know you. And I look forward to meeting you hopefully sometime this month or next month yeah. before the years over with. And uh, we can go from there. So thank you so much, Jason Buck, formal. Yeah, thank you. Okay, thank you. And for everyone listening to my show, thank you so much. And have a great evening.